I am just enamored with everything that is around me. I am about 65 miles north of San Francisco. I am sitting in a classically inspired Victorian mansion known as the Reinhaus Mansion that is elegantly decorated with illuminating stained glass windows. The pristine grounds surrounding the mansion are dominated by luscious vines and wall-sculptured bushes and gardens. Nearby are caves that are carved into the hillside. This place is alive with visitors and tourists, including young children running around enjoying the warm morning California sun. This place is charming, but what is more profound and alluring is the history of this place. Welcome to Behringer, California's oldest continually operating winery and one of Napa Valley's most sought after wine tasting experiences. My name is Ryan Chernick and I'll be your wine educator today. Sip on this. I'm Junae Gaither, your co-host along with Roger Chung, and we're happy to bring you inside the wondrous world of wine tasting through Napa and Sonoma Valleys and much further afield later on. Hey, Roger. Hey, Junae. It's great to be back with you today. Absolutely. You too. We're recording this on Sunday, September 8th, 2018, and it's about 75 degrees in St. Helena um, in Napa Valley right now, and since it's almost fall, that means we're in the midst of harvest season. There's so much going on not just here at Behringer, but all throughout Napa Valley. Since we have a lot to discuss, we'll just jump right into it. We're sitting inside of uh, the Reinhaus Mansion, inside of a beautifully decorated room. Um, hardwood floors and very high ceilings with crown molding. Um, very, very true to the era. And like I said, it's a Victorian mansion, so you have some wainscoting on the walls as well. Um, and it's just beautifully, beautifully decorated. Um, with a beautiful chandelier as well, but that's just one of the 17 rooms in this property. Ryan, welcome to Sip On This. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you do here at Behringer and tell us about this beautiful property. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so I am the manager of the Ryan House. The Ryan House uh, houses our private reserve tasting room. So our best sites with our best grapes go into our best wines. They are showcased here, predominantly uh, big, bold reds and uh, one white, which is our private reserve Chardonnay. Um, in the house, we also host a number of salon experiences. We have a nice merchandise area as well. Uh, and then right outside the house is our wonderful backyard. Uh, one of the things that is a that distinguishes us from other wineries in the area is that we do have something a little bit for everybody. Uh, in the backyard, we have music series that happens on Saturdays. We have bocce ball, we have cornhole, we have large Jenga. And when there's not a band playing, we usually have some pretty good music going on as well. Um, right outside in that area is also our Sherry Shack where you can enjoy some nice sandwiches, some salads, or wines by the glass. Oh, that's so awesome. You know, when I first pulled into the property today, there's a beautiful windy road that takes me to the parking lot. And then you have this beautiful uh, grapevine covered welcome center. And behind it uh, is another big, beautiful building. And a couple, as we walked around, we uh, I saw a couple beautiful fountains. How did this property come to be here in this space? And over the period of time, this place has been around for over about 140 years or so. Tell us about the growth of this beautiful property. Sure, so uh, Jacob Berenger was the winemaker and uh, he came out from Mainz, Germany, which is along the Rhine River, which is a very well-known, famous uh, wine growing area, uh, predominantly known for Riesling. Uh, he came over here and went to work for Charles Krug, which was the first uh, winery in the area. Uh, he was a cellar master there. 
Um, this piece of property across the street from Charles Krug came open and he reached out to his big brother, Frederick, who had become a millionaire in New York, selling malt for beer, and was talking with him about how it reminded him of home and how it seemed to be a magical place and how he wanted to do his own thing. So. Frederick came out, he sized up the property, agreed with his brother, and that's kind of how it got started. So originally where we're sitting now in the Rhine House was the Hudson House was sitting here originally, and that was Jacob's house. Um, once Big Brother got involved and uh, he was the financier, I uh, decided to pick up the Hudson House and roll it into its current destination, just slightly down the hill here, and build um, a recreation of their ancestral home from Mainz, Germany, which is why you see all the beautiful stained glass, the wainscoting, very classic, classic design. This property is just so beautiful and pristine, and I know it's one of Napa's top tourist destinations. What really attracts people to come here to Beringer? Well, Behringer is, first of all, it's, it's iconic. Um, being one of the first uh, wineries here, continuously making wine for over 142 years, even through Prohibition, um, it's just very picturesque. When you think of Napa, you think of Behringer. Uh, if you read any wine book, talk to any wine collector, Behringer's name is always going to be mentioned. The nice thing is there's a dichotomy here at Behringer as well. While we're sitting in the Rhine House and this houses the premium experiences, we also offer um, other wines, which are wine exclusive in our other tasting room at the old winery. That was where the uh, wine was originally made. Um, and then now it's the tasting room. So we have several tiers of wine. And in that tasting area, we have light to medium to medium plus bodied wines, white, red, pink, sweet. Um, so it's, we really have wine for everyone. Here in the Rhine House, um, we have wines that maybe if you haven't tried for the first time, if you haven't had um, elegant, opulent, uh, well-crafted and well-balanced uh, Cabernets, which is what we're known for, then you would be wanting to be tasting here. Um, we are in every collector's cellar, and if not, we should be. Uh, our wines are noteworthy and have um, incredible ageability. Thank you so much, Ryan, for being here. We really appreciate you being here and taking the time out of your day and be here with us. My pleasure. Our other guest is Ed Lee, the hospitality sales manager from Treasury Wine Estates. Um, you guys may recognize him from an earlier podcast episode. He is our wine god, and he can answer pretty much any question that we throw at him, um, and we learn so much from him because he has such a wealth of knowledge. Ed, welcome back to Sip on This. Tell us how Treasury Wine Estates is part of the Behringer family. Yes, so Behringer is one of the, more, uh, the most celebrated wine estates under the Treasury Wine Estates umbrella. And we've been around um, as a global company to make sure that each of the brands are truly unique and authentic and making some world-class wine as it always has been uh, here at Behringer for over 140 years. I'm responsible for the Mandarin speaking programs. We see guests from over the world and I'm here to take care of them, make sure that they have a truly elevated and uh, inspiring uh, experience here at the winery. Um, you know, Behringer is such a popular name. It's well known in the mass retail market. Behringer also has um, a lot of great, unique, artisanal experiences that um, are not inaccessible and actually this property is so welcoming that it, you really do have a lot of visitors and tourists that just come here. It's one of the top tourist destinations here in Napa Valley. Uh, Ryan and Ed, tell us about the wines that you're uh, going to share with us today and how these wines are different from those that you offer in the retail market. 
Uh, so <clears throat> starting with the white wine, that's our um, private reserve Chardonnay. Uh, we are proud to have the distinction, the only winery to ever have a wine of the year for both red and white wine, uh, both for our private reserve Cabernet and the private reserve Chardonnay. Um, in the Rhine House, it's the only white wine that we pour. Um, it is a classic, classic Napa Chardonnay, uh, but the thing that's a little bit uh, different about that is its balance and elegance. You know, when you talk about Napa Chardonnay, you hear oaky, buttery, and that's pretty well known all over the world, which it does have those notes, but there's also a nice buoyant acidity that kind of keeps that fatness, that roundness of the wine, um, again, nice and balanced. Uh, that's one thing uh, that you'll notice immediately when you taste it and smell it as well. It's gorgeous. The color, what would you describe the color as? It's light? It's straw colored? Definitely say a light to medium straw color. Not incredibly saturated, but definitely a golden hue. Mm-hmm. Mm. I smell a little bit of apple in this. And definitely the wood of uh, the private reserve. You said that you mentioned that this was uh, a little bit of oak in this, Ed. Correct. Uh, it seemed a uh, significant amount of oak aging, actually, but it's hence like the oak uh, to make sure that the oak is never powering the wine itself. Mm. A little bit of butter in there, which is that wood taste, but it's so light, uh, but uh, very sophisticated. It, makes, it really punches through the Chardonnay with a sophisticated taste. We mentioned earlier that the 90s, was it the 96 Chardonnay was ranked number one by Wine Spectator? So it was the 94 Vintage that was ranked by Spectator on the 96 edition as the number one wine of the world. And what were the qualities that really made it receive that recognition? And what qualities carry through with this uh, 2016 vintage of Chardonnay? So it's a consistency and continuity that we're looking after. It's the source of the vineyard uh, from the Oakville district. It's the hand selection of the process and making sure not every single barrel um, gets evaluated before putting into um, the, the final bottling of our offering. It's about these, the freshness, the acidity, the quality of the fruit. Uh, the Oakville is gonna be a little bit warmer than the cooler parts like Canaro's in the Oakville area. It's gonna get a little more ripeness, a little more flavor, a little more depth, and it's gonna balance out the oak really nicely to highlight the beautiful apple you talked about earlier. Um, the touch of vanilla, touch of um, kind of toast, touch of um, almost a little that savory cooking spice that I really enjoy. Um, pear, freshness, tropical fruit notes to it, all that, and uh, top of minerality. Uh, Oakville is known to be a fairly rocky uh, volcanic soil growing environment, and that's where we leverage uh, all its positive attributes. This one, to me, is a little bit more light to medium bodied. It's got uh, vibrant flavors throughout from the front end to the back end. My first impression was the, let me try again. I get a, a lot of creaminess right at the front, uh, which is probably the wood, right? And then it, it balances out, it evens out, and I get a clean taste of um, maybe the apple uh, or, or maybe a pineapple towards the back end as, as, the, as the wine moves to, towards my throat. What do you get out of this, Janae? I get a little bit of pear and banana, mm. for sure. Um, and even a little bit of minerality, 
and that to me makes sense since you know we know that Oakville is a lot of volcanic soil and you know there's a lot of rocks so that kind of that might that slate or that kind of um, those rocks that you can actually taste when you taste minerality that um, that almost flintiness I get a little bit of that mm, it's delicious and it's very soft easy to drink. What about wine pulls out the a vanilla quality? Um, there's a particular chemical compounds that you can find in the oak itself. It's uh, easy to, enough to remember called vanillin. Vanillin is the chemical compounds that will resonate with the nose as associated with a vanilla-like quality to it. We don't soak vanilla beans into our wines. Uh, there's no artificial flavoring in wine. It's really just the purity of the fruit uh, being transformed by the yeast. And then when it's Asian oak, it gathers and um, creates these complex layers of aroma that we get to enjoy in our glass. Uh, moving on to the next wine, uh, something that Behringer has hung its hat on for many, many years is our Bancroft Ranch Merlot. Bancroft Ranch is located on the Howell Mountain AVA. AVA stands for American Viticultural Area, and that is designated by law. So when we talk about these things, we're also kind of creating a sense of place, which is the French word terroir. Howell Mountain is particularly unique uh, because of its soil compositions and its microclimates, meaning that you can be in one block or one area in the vineyard and then literally take a few steps over and have different soil and the wind can be blowing in a different direction. Also other factors that come into the flavor of the wine um, is the subsoils. Uh, Napa Valley is 30 miles long, and of the 50 subsoils in the world, we have about 30 of them here. So again, adding to the uniqueness of it. Behringer has seven single vineyards that we operate on and from, all which are very unique. Howell Mountain is particularly um, special, as what I mentioned before, but also fruit that comes from uh, mountain areas uh, has more stress for the vines to get its nutrients to the grapes, therefore resulting in smaller grapes with a larger concentration of uh, pulp to skin ratio, so which adds um, more tannins to the wines, which adds to the ageability. The Merlot is such an elegant, softer components and companion to our its bigger brother, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. The Bancroft Merlot, it is going to be a little bit fuller body, a little bit more complex than your typical Merlots out there. Uh, Howe Mountain is perhaps one of the most celebrated mountain vineyards, uh, AVA, American Viticulture Area, of the Napa Valley. It's rocky, it's volcanic, it's west-facing slope, sees a lot of afternoon sun, making sure every single berries on the vines gets um, kind of that optimal ripeness. It does cool down enough at night uh, to maintain its acidity, its freshness, which is critical to build any age-worthy, high-quality wines that we have here in Napa Valley. You know, and I've tasted a lot of Merlots. Some are bigger and bolder. I've also tasted some very soft and gentle Merlots. What attributes, what characteristics will I be pulling out of this? So think you're standing upon, upon the mountain. Uh, you take a long climb. Uh, the drainage is really good. The, the rains will come down. The volcanic soil actually doesn't hold much moisture at all. So the vines are constantly struggle for water. The berry is going to be, in comparison, smaller than most of what you'll find in the valley floor. You have a greater skin uh, to juice ratio. 
getting adding a more tannin, more color, more density to the wine. The beauty of mountain fruit is that since the yield is so low, we really, really treasure every single berry and really wanted to maximize that flavor. You're gonna get a bigger wine uh, as how mountain, but because the diurnal shift and the, temp uh, the temperature difference between morning and night, it's very drastic. The cooler coolness of the night would actually re um, retain its freshness, its vibrancy, uh, making sure that all, uh, the sugars are not overly uh, syrupy, it's not overly ripe. So you're gonna get a fairly uh, structured power and tannin and all that good stuff that a red wine is priced for. But Merlot being more elegant, more velvety by nature, it's a happy medium. Mm, can't wait. I'm gonna swirl this a little bit and then sniff it. I get a little chalk in this bouquet here. I definitely get some kind of, besides all of Top of Knot, some kind of flinty characteristics. Mm. It's more, it's more savory and more earthy to me than fruity. And then the taste, it's just, it's, I, I love this so much. Mm. It's potpourri also on the nose, but also on the palate. I get a lot of stewed fruit on the palate as well. Um, stewed red fruit and a little bit of dark fruit as well. Really, really interesting kind of layers of complexity here for both fruit and kind of savory characteristics and earthy notes. Um, an interesting texture too. It's soft, but it's also, you, you taste how big and how robust the wine is. It's a really interesting kind of dance on my palate. You know, I just sipped this. My first impression was it's complex. But as my uh, tongue and my mind tried to decipher it, what I really pulled out of it was a lot of chocolate character notes. Um, and as you said, Janae, it's very soft, but it's got that rustic feel to this. Is that uh, typical for Howell Mountain grapes? Yeah, I think about the majestic quality of Howell Mountain it has a fairly high elevation compared to the rest of Napa Valley. It usually sits around 18 to 2400 feet. It's got the rockiness to it. It's got the flinty quality you talked about earlier. Uh, there is gonna be structure and more masculinity to this Merlot than most of the Merlot you're gonna find out there. And you said single vineyard, so you don't produce much of this. No, not at all. So it's gonna be a small portion of our production of our Cabernet we typically sell out every single year. And it's gonna age really well. Um, for those who have the patience to, to, um, to acquire this bottle and let it sit for five years, um, my recent uh, memory of the Bancroft Merlot is a 2010 that just is singing and dancing right now. Over, over time, what, what qualities will this lose with the aging, but what qualities will it gain with its aging? So as you are tasting the wines right now, noticing the kind of a little bit gritty tannin, that's gonna go away a little bit over time. Think about time as sandpaper, it's gonna polish off this tannin, become a little softer, more easy on the palate, and it's gonna um, add more viscosity, more density to the wine actually, um, because um, the tannin will kind of settle in and melt into the wine, if you will. The fruit is going to fade out a little bit. Uh, you're going to retain that savory spice and that vanilla oak flavor going on and developing that leather uh, savory kind of smokiness in the background. And, and I see the other two bottles on the table are a 2010 Cabernet and a 2014 Cabernet. Tell us, I think you mentioned earlier that this 2010 is one of your favorites. Can you tell us a little bit about these other two wines that you're offering today? 
All right, so single vineyards. We talk about the amazing seven vineyards where we have、uh, stewardship over for a long time, cracking some of the finest Cabernet in our portfolio, and that most of them ultimately blend into our private reserve Cabernets. We want to showcase a little bit of what we、uh, call the Council Terroir, the different growing places in Napa, the microclimates that it offers here. The 2010 is our home vineyard,、uh, named after our St. Helena home base here, and it's.、Um, Places that celebrates the quality of Saint Helena,、uh, and the Steinhauer is going to be on top of the Hound Mountain again, similar to Bancroft, but just a little bit down the road from there. Going to offer a little bit more structure, more mountainous fruit quality versus the more valley floor、uh, hillside of the home vineyard. Okay, so bring us into the 2010. Tell us a little bit about this 2010 Cabernet from Saint Helena. 2010.、Uh, it's a relatively cooler year with like really long ripening process, allowing the fruit to really kind of develop complexities and layers without losing its freshness.、Uh, the 2010 is showing beautiful right now in the glass. It's just showing a little bit of that、uh, tertiary、uh, color, of that garnet reddish color, but it's still very young and vibrant right now. I'm just sipping on on this wine with vibrant blackberry quality, a little vanilla, a little leathery,、uh, all these things that. Come into play because it's valley floor、uh, hillside. It's got a little more of a polished, elegant tannin, which you don't really equate that with the Cabernet from the Hound Mountain. It's much more approachable when they're younger. It's much more、uh, opulent, more velvety,、uh, which I really enjoy with a variety of different food options. I love the color of this. Look, it's it's a little、uh, little dense in color.、Uh, I see a nice prominent ring around it.、Um, what aromas are you pulling out of this? A lot of blackberry. It's certainly beautiful and ripe and luscious.、Uh, leather, black pepper. I do get the leather in there.、Mm-hmm. Smokiness almost reminds that、uh, fine cigar. There's definitely terroir and soil and minerality in this wine still.、Um, white pepper, cinnamon, nutmeg, baking spice.、Mm. My first impression is very elegant, very smooth, very silky. As you mentioned, I get a very prominent vanilla taste at the very front end, which makes it、uh, very drinkable, very smooth. What are you getting out of it, Janae? Again, I get a lot of stewed fruit.、Um, it's very, very faint, and it's almost on the finish, not really on the mid palate. But right at the end, I get some kind of like almost approaching jammy notes. It's definitely not jammy by any means, but there's definitely that kind of very prominent、um, dark fruit characteristic that that just tastes a little bit more robust, a little more like some stewed kind of macerated. Fruit,、um, and then again, I get. <laughs> it seems to be a running theme with me in this tasting today. Some of that flintiness、um, and earthiness in this wine as well. So more savory characteristics, which I absolutely love. And, and you talked about 2010 being a good year. What about the weather and the environment made the grapes so prominently、uh, ripe? So the benefit of、uh, 2010. It's actually、uh, 
a worrisome year for some because it actually started off as a relatively cool growing season. A lot of producers think the, the grapes will actually now ripen before the rain season. However, um, the rain held off. Um, the, the vineyards enjoyed a really prolonged time period of uh, ripening, even at a, a cooler temperature align the vineyards and the vines develop complexity and layers in the grape themselves. Uh, what's different and unique in St. Lina is that we enjoy a slightly warmer temperature overall being further inland uh, that, that's consistent steady sunlight align the St. Lina to achieve its optimal ripeness uh, and it's actually uh, performing really really well uh, right now at this point. This 2010 is really elegant, and here we are in September 2018. Uh, September, October are usually harvest months here in Napa Valley. Um, tell us about what's going on with harvest right now, and what are you guys doing, and what are you guys preparing for? So yeah, we officially just kicked off harvest uh, since last Thursday, uh, bringing our Sauvignon Blanc and uh, some Chardonnay white varieties. And this year is looking up pretty pretty good. Uh, I've not really heard anything negative uh, in this world. Uh, no news is good news. Harvest is when you're uh, preparing to pull the grapes off the vines. Um, what kind of, uh, it's very labor intensive. Tell us about operation and what goes on during harvest. So our vineyard comes from all parts of Napa Valley. We make both whites and reds. Typically the white wines will uh, start coming in earlier with the white varieties like Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay. We do a little Pinot Grigio as well. So those varieties will typically come in first, beginning the harvest with those, and uh, followed by some a little bit of Zinfandel, a little bit of uh, Merlot, and Cabernet usually comes in uh, fairly late into the season. Uh, they require longer sunlight, uh, longer amount of uh, time to ripen to really soften that uh, big, powerful, chewy tannins before they're even manageable. When do they know that the, the grapes are at the prime uh, picking point? We have Mark Berenger, a fifth-generation winemaker who's sitting at the helm making our wines right now. And it's a constant collaboration between vineyard manager and the winemaker to make sure they go out into the vineyards tasting the fruit, to make sure the fruit are tasting delicious before they are ready for harvest. It's, it takes great grapes to make great wine. Something as simple as that, uh, it's hard to achieve. And I heard that a lot of grapes are picked at nighttime instead of daytime, is that right? Correct. Think about you going to your grocery store and then all these produce are set at much cooler temperature. It preserves the freshness and vibrancy of the ingredients. Same thing in the grapes. Uh, it's much cooler night here in Napa Valley. We want to make sure we pick these delicious, optimally ripe fruit at the coolest of the night where it's not going to be subject to the damage and the harshness of the sun or um, the, the wasps and the insects that's flying out there during the middle of the day. And also, if it gets too warm, they might start prematurely fermenting. Right. which we don't want. And Behringer also has caves. Part of the aging process of wine includes the caves. What are they used for? What were they used for before? So the caves were hand dug. Uh, we were one of the first people to do that in the valley. And on the other side of that mountain is the San Lina home vineyard, which we just discussed earlier. Uh, the caves hold a perfect cellar temperature. 
uh, typically about uh, 55 degrees, somewhere around there. Um, when, when the old winery stopped um, producing wine, um, now we use it for our Legacy Cave Tour, uh, which you can catch almost every half hour. You taste three wines and you get uh, an inside look of the caves, tour through, and you get to learn about the history go over our winemakers, which in 142 years, we only have eight winemakers. So that's something of some significance as well. And as Ed mentioned, uh, we're happy to have Mark Berenger back here, uh, fifth generation winemaker. And that 99 point PR cab I just mentioned uh, is his first wine from start to finish here. Mm. Ryan, do you want us to walk us through the 2014 Cabernet? Uh, so we are looking at the uh, Steinhauer Ranch from Howell Mountain Single Vineyard Cabernet. We keep mentioning Single Vineyard uh, because it is an important designation. Uh, Usually it um, denotes the quality of the wine and also you can probably guess the quality of the price as well. Um, So we take each of our seven single vineyards and we vinify them separately and then they are blended together based on the vintage and the winemaker's choice again in the bottle and they age for another year and a half before they're released. Um, We mentioned before about mountain fruit, the Steinhauer Ranch being on Howell Mountain, uh, shows that in the glass as well. As Ed mentioned, you have uh, concentration, um, extraction, deep color, deep flavors, uh, and a little bit, I wouldn't say coarse tannins, but um, they are larger tannins, and that's why it takes a little time in the bottle before release. So typically you won't even see it released for about three years after. Will this wine be heavier, more full-bodied than the uh, St. Helena Cabernet? It'll be more structured, it'll be more powerful. I think there's gonna be the luscious velvety quality you get more from the home vineyard Singalina, and you're gonna get more of a structured, powerful, grittier tannin uh, from the younger and a mountain fruit of Steinhauer Cabernet 2014. Mm. The fruit, when I just sniffed this, the fruit isn't as prominent as the St. Helena. Uh, Ryan, what are you smelling when you smell the 14? Well, as you mentioned, the 14 being are from the home vineyard, uh, being a little bit more fruit driven, uh, the mountain fruit adds a little bit more earth to it. So um, I get potting soil, and if you can picture in your mind those little white specks uh, that you find when you pick up a bag of potting soil, I smell that as well. Uh, for those gardeners out there, maybe you know about vermiculite, you get a little smell of that as well. Uh, but also some, some, some black fruit, some good concentration, uh, blackberry, black currant. Uh, is also a classic Napa cat description as well, which you'll find in this wine. Black currant, I also get a lot of leather texture in this. It's got more depth than the St. Helena. Both of the wines are very delicious, uh, very contrasting in flavors. Uh, this one, I would think with more of fattier steak, uh, traditional red meat. Well, the St. Helena with a little age of low ripeness, for me, a filet would be delicious. Uh, you wanna do kind of grilled pork chop, a little smokiness, a little char on the outside, I would I'll do like a teriyaki soy glaze of some sort, giving a little bit more that contrasting that leathery umami quality from the aged wine. The brand new 2014 Steinhauer, it's gonna be a little bigger, it's gonna pair something a little bit heftier as well. I think a ribeye, something classic on your strip for fattier cuts of beef. 
all of these wines that you've presented today are just so beautiful and delectable. The Chardonnay, the Merlot, the, the 2010 St. Helena uh, Cabernet, the 2014 Steinhauer uh, Cabernet. Uh, Ed, I see that you put out two more glasses uh, on the table. Uh, what are these? So these are the showstoppers. These are our prior reserve Cabernet. So it's of legendary status, it's won awards, it's won uh, high accolades. For us, it's about putting the very best vineyards together, uh, refining a craft that defines the vintage. And let's do the vertical. We have the two glasses, we got the 2011 and the 2014 glasses uh, next to one another. Let's first take a look at the 2011. Uh, what are you pulling out of this uh, in terms of color and bouquet? Well, first with the color, um, because it is older, it is going to be, um, the color is dissipating a little bit. So the red is leaving and the brown is kind of, or the burgundy color is kind of coming to the fore. So it is still a garnet color, but you do, when you swirl especially, you do see that um, it does, it is losing some color and becoming more brown which can give you an indication of age. And even on the nose, um, the fruit is not as prominent. You are gonna get more savory and more earthy um, characteristics on the nose that come to the fore first, initially, before you get the fruit. Ed, what makes the 2011 so much different from the 2014? 2011 itself is a fairly unique year. It's very much akin to 2010, how it's cooler, but this time the rain season did came earlier. Uh, so that's where we, are, uh, we can truly leverage our different vineyards, uh, which actually has a really better drainage than a lot of the Valley Floor vineyards out here. Most of our prior reserve Cabernet is made primarily of Howe Mountain fruit. We talked about its west facing slope, seeing a lot more sunlight, its hillside, so it's got a lot of better drainage. But overall, the 2011 is going to consider, in contrast to 2012, 13, and beyond, a slightly underripe year. Uh, you're going to get more of a true Cabernet quality, actually, if you're a, a big Bordeaux drinker. Bordeaux, being cooler, being a little rainier than here, this average in Napa Valley, you're going to get a lot of that old world uh, style. That minerality is very pronounced, the structure is pronounced. But Overall, you're gonna get that um, kind of green bell pepper, mm -hmm. uh, peppercorn, uh, just a little bit of that savory spice to actually giving this wine a little lift. That's part of it's actually gonna uh, develop lay greater layers complexity. There's still plenty of fruit in this wine. Uh, there's just that green note, so I think which uh, really let this wine stand out uh, for those who are looking to collect some of the old world style wines. This would be a, a one for the old world and one for the new world. Mm. 2011 is definitely shaping up to, to become one of my favorite vintages in Napa and that's because it was such a challenging year and you can really um, understand whether a winemaker is a good winemaker if they can make a really good wine out of 2011 and I think this is very very good as Ryan said he did mention capsaicin and Ed Lee mentioned kind of green pepper notes so those are very prominent and very pronounced um, there's that again that earthier characteristic versus the fruit that come to the fore and it makes for an amazing just interesting and incredible wine to speak to what you're saying Janae 
Um, in the more challenging years, there's actually a lot more care that needs to be taken into the wine. And while generally speaking, people say, oh, it's not a great vintage, but I, you know, I've tasted some great 11s as well. And I think that you can see that because there is so much attention that needs to happen. The winemaker needs to be focused on it every day if the weather is inclement. So, you know, just something to consider when people talk about vintages, it's always best to taste it for yourself. Absolutely. I just took a sip of the 11. Wow. It's bold, very masculine, I would say. Um, a lot of leather characteristics in this one. It's very uh, drinkable. It's very smooth. How would you describe it, Brian? We do use uh, terms of masculine and feminine in terms of uh, softness or approachability. Um, I would agree with you on that point there as well. That's also kind of a distinction between mountain fruit and valley fruit as well. Uh, when you have more stress, uh, you have more concentration and uh, deeper flavors, uh, which are very attractive to some people and are a little off-putting to others. With the valley floor fruit, uh, it's going to be more approachable to most people. I like it a lot. It's very good. And now let's try the 2014. What aromas are you pulling out of the 14? 2014, it's in a beautiful year. It's known for its more floral quality. I would say a lot of the people were raving about 2013 and touting as one of the best years in a decade with a lot of tannin and structure. 14, to my uh, argument, it's much more approachable, much more elegant. The floral quality of this wines and the softness, the elegance, the tannins are immediately appreciating now. Well, it has a pretty good acidity and freshness to be able to age almost just as long as any 2013s out there. The only disadvantage that 14 has is being behind 12 and 13. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I, I like that. when I smelled uh, 11, the aroma, the bouquet was very prominent. The 14 is very subtle to me. 14, I get some potpourri, which is really beautiful. Mm. Quite a contrast in flavors here. Uh, the 11, much more bold. Uh, the 14, lighter, a little bit lighter. I get more cooking spices. I get cinnamon in this. I get um, an, a nice apple pie out of this one. Um, very much more floral, I think, in its, in its flavor. What do you pull out of it? I pull out um, a lot of red fruit, actually, versus black fruit. Um, so I get like strawberries, I get some red raspberries, I get, I actually get some Bing cherries out of this one too. Um, but it is, it is more vibrant and brighter, which makes sense because it's younger. Um, and I do get some floral notes, I get some violets. Um, again, I get some kind of Potpourri, so almost like an artificial dried characteristic, but it's not in, in a not in a pejorative way. Um, just very, very different and interesting. So the Bancroft Merlot, uh, well, that's one of the reasons why I showcase this wine. It's very approachable. It's very elegant. It's small production. It's really for the guest who comes to the winery, who's taking the time to join us uh, for this tasting. They will taste this. 
before me on the shelf. These are unique single vineyard wines and the private reserve cabaret. Those are something that you could easily lay down for three, five, seven plus years easily. And those are gonna be something that's truly unique, truly, truly make uh, Behringer Vineyards special. The great thing about all the flavors that we're describing and all the wines is that you can come taste them here at the Ryan House. In many of our salon seated experiences, we offer a vertical tasting, which for those of you that don't know is successive years. So right now we'd go 14, 13, 12, 11, and 10 being one vertical which is great and wow. so you can do vintage comparisons and also you can also see the ageability where it is now and where it's going to be potentially because um, it's hard to determine sometimes where it's going to be even 10 years after that. Most of our wines will age 25-30 years anyway as far as the Cabernets are concerned. One of our other seated experiences is our single vineyard tasting. So not only do you get to taste six different wines you get to taste each of the vineyards and that's what we again talk about terroir something important to connect and you have a wine educator you have your own private room to yourself um, it's really a quite a unique experience i love all the wines that you offered us today they're all delicious they all have great character uh, qualities behind them how do these wines and this experience differ from what i would buy in a retail grocery store well, our single vineyard wines are only available here. Uh, Private Reserve Cabernet you can find some places in the market, but the single vineyards are unique to the winery here. And Janae, what is it about today that just made this such a wonderful, unique, uh, romantic, charming experience? Well, for me, it's the intimacy. I am. I, I don't believe in mass market experiences, um, luxury, is luxury happens when you are in an intimate kind of one-on-one um, experience and this was very much that with two very knowledgeable um, wine educators in your own private room um, not having to contend with um, a bunch of other people at a tasting bar so it's very unique in that way it feels very very luxurious and it's in a beautiful beautiful space in this old victorian mansion that was built in the 1800s so we have doors that are closed all around us so it's literally just us in a private room without hearing or seeing anyone else and that is that is what made the tasting for me today and this is not just for us because we are doing the podcast this is something that you listeners out there can come and do as well this is one of the tastings that Behringer offers and we encourage you to come and experience this. Ryan, the property is just so beautiful and expansive. I saw that you guys offer a tour. What would the visitors come and see if they took the tour here? Well, we offer two tours. As I mentioned earlier, we did the Legacy Cave tour. Uh, we also offer uh, the Taste of Behringer tour, uh, which is a tour and tasting. Uh, you would start at the Welcome Center, and we welcome you with a splash of wine because that's why we're here. Uh, and then we share um, a brief uh, history of our culinary tradition, which is the Hudson House, was the very first um, culinary center in all of Napa, uh, which is something that we're proud of as well. And we walk through there, and then you, we take you into our sensory garden, which was planted a few years ago. And in the sensory garden, you can see a wide variety and range of fruits, vegetables, 
herbs and we take you in there to experience all the senses and flavors. For example, there is sage growing in there and we pick the sage and we rub it between our fingers and we use that to um, equate that to fine tannins. Uh, or I also like to equate it to like a cat kiss, if you ever had a cat lick you. Same kind of way to describe fine tannins. And we use these analogies because that's how we connect with people. Um, and also giving people, uh, empowering them to be able to talk about wine in their own language as well. So following from the sensory garden, we go into what was the kitchen and the Rhine house uh, for a seated experience with a wine educator. And we have three bites prepared by our, our executive chef, Jacob Benavides. Uh, and all of these uh, have been prepared to go with the wines that are on that experience as well. Very cool. I'm excited about those experiences. You know, this place has been eye-opening to me. You know, you drive up and down 29, and you see this amazing house, and you always say, hmm, I really want to go in there, but you never do. And we are so happy that we actually came to experience this. Otherwise, we never would have known that there was such a wonderful breadth and depth to Behringer and, you know, learning about the history and how it kind of interweaves with the fabric of Napa Valley and how this place almost helped to shape Napa Valley. It was just wonderful to uh, to learn about. You know, you're right, Janae. The Behringer is probably a victim of its own successes. As Janae said, you know, driving down Route 29 and I come up to Napa often, two to three times a month, and because Behringer is such a prominent name in the wine industry, I've often passed this place and I've seen how beautiful and pristine this property is, but I've continued to drive past this place because it's such a well-known winery and I was out seeking uh, the more boutique, the more unique wineries. But coming here and experiencing this and tasting your single vineyard wines is quite an elegant, unique experience that I think all of the audience should come and do this. And that, that's probably why uh, Behringer is one of the top tourist destinations here in Napa. Yeah, I think you said it uh, perfectly, actually, you know, being a victim of its own success. Uh, sometimes you're like, oh, it's classic. Oh, it's Behringer. It'll be there forever. But really, we offer great experiences every day and fantastic wine for, for many, many years. Uh, so we also pride ourselves on having unique experiences for every individual. We have dog bowls outside on the porch for your dogs. We have music going on in the backyard. There's, it's a family place, but it's also a place for serious collectors. Absolutely. And if people wanted to come to Behringer, where are you guys located? If you like to visit Behringer, our address is at 2000 Main Street in San Lina area of Napa Valley. Our phone number is 707-257-5771. The website is Behringer.com. And Ryan, when is the winery open? We're open seven days a week from 10 to 5.30. Those are our summer hours, and we close at 5 during the winter. And earlier you mentioned that you have bocce ball, you have cornhole, uh, you have summer concerts. Large Jenga as well. Large Jenga. Is that open to the public or just members only? Uh, it's open to the public. Great. Well, I really hope you guys all enjoyed this episode of Sip on This, and you can continue to learn more about wines in the Napa Valley and Sonoma Valleys and much further afield later on um, by listening to our podcast. So please remember to subscribe to Sip on This and check us out at siponthis.org where you can see pictures from today's tasting experience and ask questions that we'll answer on a future podcast. But for now, I'm Janae Gaither. And I'm Roger Trump. Until our next podcast, live life peacefully, productively, and deliciously. Cheers. 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 Thanks, guys. Thank you.